you would turn in your Bible or click to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is kind of the chapter of the Bible that talks about the early church, the New Testament church, and when it was getting its start and its foundation. So we thought it would be an awesome idea to go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2 and see how they handled things when we're getting ready to take this big step of our own. So we're in the middle of a series. This is week number four of a series called Reach Chapter 2, after Acts Chapter 2. As you know, last month we wrapped up a capital stewardship campaign that lasted a year to raise money to remodel the youth facility and to build the awning that you see on the north side of the building here. And uh, I want to take a moment again for anyone who hasn't heard me say this to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for those of you who gave, for those of you who volunteered to help make that happen, uh, those of you who gave us your ideas. I'll tell you what, church, we have a state-of-the-art youth sanctuary over there. And, uh, and pretty soon the lounge is going to be state-of-the-art as well. And uh, students, what do you think about that? There we go. That's about as excited as they get. But I want to say thank you. But even though those projects are are nearly complete, that doesn't mean that we are done with reach. It just means we're done with phase one. Those of you who have been around a while know that when we find something that works, we stick with it a while. And reach works. So this year we're going to move into phase two. And there won't be a capital stewardship campaign. We're not going to we're not going to send out billing statements and there aren't going to be any pie meetings or, or anything like that. But we are going to continue the intentionality of the REACH program as we begin phase two and we reach further. Pastor Darren has spent the past three weeks sharing exactly from Acts chapter two how we're going to do that, how we're going to reach further. And the short version is this. We are going to amass an army of Christians who are not scared of the devil. We're going to amass an army of Christians who aren't scared to go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. We're going to amass an army of Christians who aren't scared to cast out demons when they come in contact with demons. We're going to amass an army of Christians who will look and see people who are hurting and sick and lost and will minister to those people. And share with them the good news that they don't have to be hurting, they don't have to be sick, and they don't have to be lost. Amen? That's the short version. That we're going to be Christians who will be a beacon of light in a dark world. The longer version takes about six weeks to get through. And we're on week four. If you've been on vacation or, or for whatever reason have missed the first three weeks of this series or any one of them... Uh, I intend to have those messages uploaded for you to listen to on the website this week. So make sure that you go out and look for those. Uh, They should be there by Wednesday, but make sure you get out there and and listen to those. I, I challenge you and encourage you to do that so that you know exactly where we are and that you know the heart of why we're doing what we're doing. Because pastor said many times that on August 2nd, when we split services and we walk in here and there's 85 to 100 people in this 500 seat sanctuary, People are going to say they've done lost their minds. But we're doing it for a reason. We're doing it because God told us to do it. And pastor has has challenged God and, and, and asked him to give us 300 new converts this year. That's pretty big. 
That's huge. In week one, Pastor talked about the command. The command is for us to go and make disciples. Week two, he talked about the commitment, the commitment to study the word and to pray and to share the gospel. Last week, he talked about the confrontation. He talked about how the gospel that we have, the good news that we have, isn't a little wimpy gospel. It's a gospel that will confront sin right where it's at. It's a gospel that sees sin as sin, calls it what it is, but then confronts it in love. And says, hey, you don't have to live like that anymore. You know, it amazes me that that sometimes Christians, if they see someone who's sick physically in their body, they don't mind asking that person, hey, can I pray for you? You don't have to be sick. But when they see people who are sick in their spirit, who are living in sin, for some reason we get all sheepish. We get all scared to talk to them and, and we won't say, hey, you know what? You don't have to live like that. Do you want to be free? That's the confrontation. Today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, as we look at the commonality. Boy, he gave me an easy one to preach, didn't he? Raise your hand if you know what commonality means. That's about what I expected. Verse 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all according as anyone had need. And we know that we're reading about the New Testament church here. And, and I think that three things really stand out in this passage. The first thing was this. They believed. It says all who believed were together. They believed. You know, I hope you believe in what we're here for. That you believe in what we're doing. So I'll tell you what, I, I love all of you. I like hanging out with most of you. But if I didn't believe in what we're doing, I'd just assume be in the woods. I wouldn't get up early on Sunday mornings and come in just to see all your pretty faces. I want, I want a church that believes in what we're doing. Church, they believed. In, and in the light of the message that Pastor preached two weeks ago, I think that we could even take it a bit further. They didn't just believe. They were committed to the faith they had in Christ. I mean, they were turning their world upside down because they were committed to the faith that they had in Jesus Christ. When I think about how committed they were, it reminds me of my daughter, Courtney. And sadly, I'm, I'm not talking about how committed she is to God. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about how committed she used to be to St. Nicholas. Now, if she knew I was about to tell this story, she would kill me. But she is down in Russellville with, at First Assembly of God in Russellville with the All-State Youth Choir. They're singing there, ministering there this morning. She's going to be traveling with them all week long. And uh, I figure she's not here, and I won't tell if you don't. Deal? You see, Courtney was committed to St. Nick. 
long past the age that most children are. It actually got to a point where it was scary how old she was and how committed she was to this man. But it wasn't her fault. I got to give you that information. It was her mom's. Because you see, there was this year when, when Courtney was pretty young, probably, I don't know, maybe four. And she asked for a fur real puppy. A for real puppy was a little robot dog that would bark and, and it would wag its tail and, and do everything that a real dog does except for wet on the floor. And uh, you would feed this dog and care for it and love it. And, and Courtney wanted a, a for real puppy. So like any good parents would do, we went out shopping for Christmas and, and we looked for these puppies. But when we got to the store, we found out that we had a huge problem. They made these puppies in two different sizes. There was like a little teacup size for real puppy. And then there was a much bigger one like would fill a backpack. Her mom hadn't figured out which one she wanted. We didn't know what to do. So we uh, did what I think most people would do, the logical thing. We got them both. And we said, we'll figure it out later. There's a lot of people in this store. It's Black Friday. I'm tired. Let's get out of here. Just grab both those puppies and let's go. So we did. We grabbed both puppies and we threw them in the closet, you know, and, and figured we'll sort this out later. And we forgot all about that until 1 a.m. Christmas morning. When we got up to, to do what we had to do, I'm trying to speak in code in case there's any young ears here, but we got up to do what we had to do. And there were two puppies in our closet. And her mom still hadn't figured out which one it was she wanted. So she said, what do we do? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I guess, you know, it's Christmas time, money's tight, and the bigger one's more expensive. I said, let's give her the little one. And, uh, and then if that's, you know, not what she wanted, then we'll work it out later. So it seemed like a good plan. We put the little one under the tree. And the next morning, we all got up, and we saw what St. Nick had brought us. And while the kids were there playing in the floor with, with their new toys, I said, Courtney, was that the one that you wanted? I had this on video because we used to video Christmas morning. I should have brought it and played it. I said, was that? She would have really killed me. I said, was that the one you wanted? And she said, well, it was bigger, but it's okay. Oh, no can't have that, right? You can't have a kid that's disappointed on Christmas morning. So I said, hey, Christina, go get that other one and put it in her room. She's like, all right. And she went and got it out of the closet and went and put it in Courtney's room. And then it was getting time where we had to go to the grandparents for lunch. And we said, all right, guys, you need to clean up your toys and go get your, get your clothes on. I said, Courtney, you need to clean your room. My room is clean, Daddy. I said, no, it's not. There's a toy laying right there on the floor. She ran in there, and we had no idea what we had created. When she ran back out and said, Daddy, look! S-A-N-T-A heard me say that I wanted the bigger one, and he brought it and put it in my room. 
I said, Courtney, it was probably already in your room. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I got up and I know it wasn't there and it is now. Wow. For years, church, she became a Santa apologist. She would, ar- she would argue with people and she would tell that story. It got to the point I was afraid she was going to bloody someone's nose. She's at the middle school formal and saying, no, guys, you got to listen. It wasn't that old. But that is how the New Testament church believed. You see, they had, they had heard the firsthand accounts from the disciples of things that Jesus said and did. Many of them had seen him. They had been there at Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Where people for the first time ever begin speaking in an unknown language. And where 3,000 people got saved. Church, there was no question that they believed. They were committed to what they believed. They were committed to their faith. And it was because of that belief that they were together. That's the second thing you see about these people. They were together. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean they were all hanging out living in one house. How could that even be possible? We know that there were 120 of them in the upper room, which is probably a pretty crowded room. And then there were 3,000 on that day who got saved and added to their numbers. And then if you read a little bit further in Acts, it says that daily they added to their numbers. They were multiplying, getting bigger and bigger. They weren't staying all in the same house. That's not what it means when it says they were together. It means that they all had the same heart and same mind. They were all on the same team. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think there were probably lots of times where they gathered together in, in small groups and large groups, groups of all different sizes, to pray and to study the Word and to, to praise God. In fact, I know that that's the case because that is one of the single most effective ways to strengthen a new convert's faith is to get together with other believers and to pray and to study and to praise. They just didn't do it as a whole body together. They did it in groups. And we do that here at Trinity too. We call ours connect groups. Is anybody in a connect group? Raise your hand if you're in a connect group. Raise your hand if you love your connect group. The hands just went up higher. See, people are, sh- are shy about being in them, but man, they love them. We've got 30 or so groups, I think, that meet for all different purposes. I can almost guarantee that there's one that fits you. And if there's not, you should team up with some other weirdo like you and make one. Chad, are you in the room? Chad Cumpy. Everybody's pointing, but I don't see him. Well, Megan's here. Megan, wave at everybody. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Her husband looked for her, and then the man, that, the, the bald guy that's going to be standing with her and carrying her stuff for her, hopefully, probably carrying that baby every time I see him, he's in charge, he and Pastor Andrew are in charge of our connect groups. If there's not one that fits you, find him and get one started. We got all kinds of connect groups. We got a a technology connect group. We've got a new believers connect group. We've got uh, a women's group and a men's group. We got all kinds of groups around here just for you. Today, I actually think that as soon as service is over out in the great hall, that our connect group leaders are going to be out there giving you a chance to meet them and find out what their group is about, giving you a chance to sign up for that group right now, today. You don't even have to wait. As soon as you go out there, they're going to be standing all around the room with clipboards, and you just go sign up. Say, I want to be part of this group. Find out what's offered. I'm so proud of our connect groups. I really am. We, we tried getting those going for the longest time, and we've finally gotten them off the ground, and, and thanks to a lot, of, a lot of effort by Pastor Angie and Pastor Chad, we've got those going. You know, sometimes we have new people that come to our church, and they come from more traditional churches because most Assemblies of God churches are more traditional. And they'll say, do you have Sunday school for adults? And I'm like, I, I'm, I love being able to answer them because I'm like, yeah, we don't just have Sunday school. We have Monday school and Tuesday school and Wednesday. We got, we got so many schools, you don't even know what to do. You can go to church every night if you want. And we may not call it Sunday school, but that's exactly what some of those groups are there for. They're for discipleship. Sunday school is all about discipleship, and we've got probably 10 or 12 groups that are just for discipleship. And they meet on all different days, and some of them we even provide child care for. I love our connect groups. We've got other groups, too, that are are focused on different things. We've got fellowship groups, and we've got prayer groups. We've got activity-based groups. It's all available for you to connect. See, we call them connect groups. It's for you to connect to the body and be together. Remember, we're talking about being together. We're talking about having the same heart and the same mind. Being a part of something bigger. It's about being on the same team. Have you ever been on a team Anybody ever played sports or or been on a team of any kind? I know you can't tell by looking at me. But I'm really not that good of an athlete. I, uh, you know, my mind is, I have the mind of an athlete. Like, I, I can think like an athlete and I'm very competitive and I, and I know what I want my body to do. Like when I'm playing football or ultimate frisbee or whatever, I, my mind knows exactly what my, I want my body to do, but my body just doesn't listen. It doesn't always follow through on the challenges that my mind gives it. In fact, when we go to camp, we go to youth camp every year and they're handing out jobs and there's all kinds of different jobs. My favorite job, I've only got to do it one time because there's this other guy that has a monopoly on it and he goes almost every year. It's the dodgeball room, the gym, because you get a whistle, 
And you get to go in there, and kids are playing dodgeball all day long, and you get to whistle and tell them to get off the court. And, and if you really want to have fun like I do, you'll just jump in there and start playing dodgeball with them. Again, not well, but playing it. But when they're handing out jobs, they don't usually give me a cool job like that or, or, or any kind of active job at all. You know what my job is at camp has been for the past three years? Sit in a pavilion and watch students play. What that tells me is that, that one day I showed up at camp or they were looking at the list of who was going to be there and they were assigning jobs and they said, what is Brian good at? You know what? I bet he can sit really well. <laughs> kind of hurts my feelings. But they're right. I can sit really well. I've done it for three years now. I'm getting to be a pro. This year, I took sitting to a whole new level at camp. Because I'd done it for two years in a row, and I was pretty sure they were going to have me do it again. This year, I took my hammock with me. I said, I'll show you how to sit. And I did. I went out there every day, and I strung my hammock up between two poles, and I would sit in my hammock and watch kids play all day long. It's a rough life. But even though I'm not... gifted physically i love being on a team i don't even mind being picked last as long as you pick me as long as i get to be on the team that's all i care about in high school i actually played football i wasn't very good at it but i played i lettered you had to play at least one snap to letter and i did it but i just remember there was something special about being part of that team. All of us there working together for the same goal, to win. I love being part of something bigger than myself. I, being able to identify with a band of brothers working together towards a shared interest. You see, there's something special about putting your own needs aside for the good of a team. Something special about people's individual efforts being combined, combined towards a common goal. That's the mindset that we should have at Trinity Fellowship. We're a team. We're all on the same team. We need to get t-shirts, all, all the same color. We, every, every week we come to church, we wear our t-shirt. You ain't got to try to figure out what to wear in the morning. You ain't got to iron nothing. You just pull that T-shirt out of the dryer, and we all wear it, and we're all on the same team. Somebody should donate like $5,000, and we'll get T-shirts for everybody. That's the mindset that the early church had. They were on a team. And it wasn't just to win a game. It was to win people. They were on a team with a goal to win people, to win the lost. To make the team bigger. And I think it's because of that team mindset that they were able to do the next thing that the verse says. The verse words it like this. Says they had all things in common. Somebody just said, move on, preacher. I was with you till you touched my stuff. 
What's verse 45 say? It says that they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all according as anyone had need. Let me put that very simply for you. They sacrificed. They sacrificed for a need. You see, it was, it was actually Jewish custom in the day when, you know, the, there were all kinds of fest, feasts and festivals that, that people would come to in Jerusalem. And when they would come to these feasts and festivals, it was custom that, that they wouldn't have to get a hotel room or, or rent out a room from, from anyone. They would, they would simply stay with other Jewish people. They would use their beds and they would use their dishes and they would use their ovens and they would use their clothes if they needed to. Whatever they needed during the festival, they would use. And that was fine for, you know, a one or two week festival. I mean, you can do anything for one or two weeks. I worked fireworks for 12 days. Like to kill me, but I did it. But when the Holy Spirit got poured out on people, and when there was this great revival happening in the land, people didn't go home. They just stayed. They stayed there to be in the presence of God and to study and to share the gospel. So after 10 or 12 days, these people who were opening their homes... They didn't have enough food to feed everyone. They didn't have enough clothes to go around. So they knew that there was a need, and they sold their possessions to make it happen. They sacrificed. We're talking about sacrificing for your team. Do we have any baseball fans here? We got several. I'm a Hogs baseball fan, and and I started playing fantasy baseball this year, which has really blown my mind, but has taught me a lot about the game. Don's at the back of the room there. If if they were playing a baseball game right now, he'd be either watching it on his phone or he'd be there, because that man loves baseball. There's a play in baseball that that has really kind of blown my mind. This play usually happens when, when there's one out or, or zero outs and when the team that's batting really needs to score and when they have a man on base. And what will happen is the batter will walk up to the plate. And these guys are amazing. These, these guys, by the time you get in college and you're playing ball or, or playing ball professionally, Man, if you tell them to, to hit that exit sign with a ball, they'll take a bat and they'll whack that exit sign. I mean, from here to there, just like that. They can put the ball wherever they want to most times. The guy will walk up to the plate and will intentionally hit the ball to a player on the other team that has the ability to get him out. It's called a sacrifice. Sometimes they'll pop it way up in the air. It's called a sacrifice fly, and, and the dude will catch it, and then they'll get it, and he'll be out because they caught it. There's another one they call a sacrifice bunt. 
Well, they'll just kind of hunker down and tap that ball down the first base line and, and start running, and they know that they're going to get out. They know every time. And the reason that they do that is so that that guy that's on base can get further around the bases. They give up their own potential or their own ability to get any kind of statistic at all, to, to make any kind of, you know, to score a run or, or to steal a, but they give up their, their ability to do anything so that the other guy can get further and so that the team can score a run. That to me, I love that they call it a sacrifice play because that's exactly what it is. It's sacrifice. It's giving yourself up for the good of the team. That's what people were doing in the early church. They were sacrificing for the good of the team. I wonder how many of us would be willing to do that. How many of us would be willing to walk up to the plate and hit the ball somewhere where we know we're going to get out so that somebody else can reach the goal? I have a feeling we're going to find out. Because if we're going to reach this goal of 300 new converts this year, we're all going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to sacrifice in all kinds of ways. For some people, it may be easy. You may not get to sit in the seat that you've sat in for 20 years. Well, we hadn't had this building for 20 years. The seat that you've sat in for seven years. You may not get the parking spot that you love parking in. For some of us, it may be a little bit harder. Maybe the ministry that you're over might have to give up that room that you've always had, that's always been yours, to make room for another ministry. Some of you might have to do what they did in the early church and actually sell some of your possessions so that you can keep giving to reach so that outreach and evangelism and facility improvements and all of these other things can continue to happen to help us reach our goal. Some of you are just going to have to sacrifice in a whole new way that, that you may not have even thought about, and that's just you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Because, guys, let me tell you something. We're not trying to build a church of Christians here. We're not trying to go to two services so that people from Springdale First will come over here. We're trying to build a place where sinners can come and can meet a Savior. And I'll tell you right now, in case you don't know, sin is messy. Sin doesn't look pretty. And sinners don't either. I talked about this when I preached on love a few weeks ago, but Jesus, the whole time he was here on this earth, he was hanging out with sinners. And everybody hated him for it. 
the religious community hated him. I mean, we know that if we're a light in this dark world, in this dark city, we know that the city's going to hate us. We know that the sinners are going to hate us. But guess what? We start growing a church full of sinners, the religious community is going to hate us too. We're not going to have anybody on our side except God and each other. Who's willing to sacrifice so that people can meet Jesus? You see, they sacrificed because they saw a need. And church, I'm telling you, the need is very real. You know, pastors talked about before, he said a few weeks ago, it'd be really easy to pack up and move to a city where people weren't crazy. I mean, it'd be easy to pastor in a city that didn't hate Christians. But do you know why Fayetteville is so jacked up? It's because it's full of sinners. We have sinners sitting on the city council. We have sinners holding the the top office in the city. The reason that, that Dixon Street is so busy on the weekends is because we live in a city full of people who don't know Jesus. What better mission field is there? How many hundreds or thousands of people drive by this building every single week that don't know Jesus. How many young ladies are going to walk into Planned Parenthood this week and choose to murder their baby? There's a need, a great need. And we have a choice. Are we going to sacrifice for that need? I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back. Church, there's a lot of sacrifice that needs to happen. Some of you are going to need to sacrifice your time. You're going to need to to maybe even come to two services. Heaven forbid, you're going to have to come to two services on a Sunday morning and serve. Some of you are going to have to give. The early church got it. They knew it was important. They saw the need. So they sacrificed voluntarily for each other. Not out of manipulation, but out of love. Every day, people in northwest Arkansas are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And we're coming every single week and sitting in a nice, comfortable seat, in a nice, comfortable room, 
and holding inside us the truth that they don't have to go to hell. That's not our job. Our job is not to come and sit. Our job is to go out, like I said, into the highways and into the hedges and compel them to come in. To share with them the good news. And if we truly believe like the early church did, then we will too commit. We'll believe and we'll be committed. We'll unite and be together. And we will sacrifice for the need. In just a minute, we're going to have a final song. Before we do that, if you're a connect group leader, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to go ahead and go take your place at this time. Church, on August 2nd, we're going to two services. We're going to meet at 9.15 and 11.15. Things are going to be crazy, and, and then as we start growing, things are going to get messy. We need your help. need you between now and then to be signing up to serve. Need you between now and then to be praying for this move. Next week is part five of this series. You guys enjoying this series? Is anybody excited about where we're going? And I am. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to see this whole room filled up two or three times every Sunday with a bunch of sinners that don't know God. Being able to share with them his love. Being able to go out because people give to reach so that we can buy supplies and and then we can go out into the city. We can go down on Dixon Street on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night and we can share the love of Christ with people. I'm excited about seeing our Celebrate Recovery service just jam-packed to the walls with people who struggle with habits or hang-ups. I'm excited. I want to ask you to do this. During this final song, these altars are going to be open. ask you first to to search your heart decide first of all do you really believe do you believe like Courtney believed where it's so real to you that you can't keep your mouth shut I want to ask you if you're together are you on this team We've got a team, and it don't matter whether we have shirts or not. If you're here, you need to be on the team. If you're not on the team, find a staff member and talk to us and and share with us your concern, and let's see if we can get you on the team. Then finally, I want you to search your heart and find out, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give up whatever it costs 
so that your neighbor doesn't go to hell. So that your child's teacher in school doesn't go to hell. So that the young lady that's ringing up your groceries at the store doesn't go to hell. That's why we're here. These altars are open. I want you to search your hearts. If you find any one of those three areas that needs to be worked on, God said, I am. Go to him.